You enrich the kings of the earth and your many luxuries uh, and your goods and your merchandise. And then it goes on to say, all the inhabitants of the island, verse 35, will be astonished at you. Their kings will be greatly afraid and their countenance will be troubled. The merchants among the people will hiss at you. You will become a horror and be no more forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you love the world enough to warn. And Lord, uh, all these things were written for our admonition. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would, even the days in which we live, when you're still warning, you're still warning our nation, you're still warning the world, you're still warning uh, every man, woman, and child, Lord, to surrender to you, to accept your wonderful conditions of peace sent by your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we're so thankful here that we have come to know uh, your love and your mercy rather than your wrath. But Lord, we also know that you even said in your word that it's the ter- by the terror of the Lord we persuade men. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would continue to be faithful in persuading men to come to the kindness and to the forgiveness of sin, but also, Lord, to run from the judgment to come. We pray that you would just bless this Bible study tonight, that we will learn from what you did to Tyre so many years ago, Lord, that we would still take heed and be aware that uh, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you for being in our presence tonight. Bless this time in your name we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled our time here in chapters 26 and 27, Rapidly Fading Glory. Rapidly Fading Glory. Uh, Subtitled Lessons from Tyre. And what what a city it was. What a magnificent um, achievement of mankind, if you will, all that uh, all that Tyre had had built up and had become. But you know, God is never impressed by what man achieves, is He? What did He do to the Tower of Babel? He came and stopped it, dispersed everyone. He'll never allow man to take glory. And the only one that will receive glory is the King of Glory. Amen. And that's the Lord Jesus himself. But all the empires, all the kingdoms will fade. But uh, Tyre gets a special three-chapter section. So it plays a very significant role. Uh, It typifies uh, kind of the pride of mankind. It typifies the spirit that says, we have done all of this. Very impressed with themselves very in love uh, with the things of this world, very idolatrous. Uh, But if you're taking notes, we'll just kind of go through four sections tonight. The first we'll look at, uh, just give you a little background on on Tyre and uh, its place in the ancient world. Uh, I've titled the first little section we'll look at called Wealthy and Confident. If you're taking notes, uh, Wealthy and Confident. Uh, Tyre was considered the greatest commercial city in the Old Testament. And there's a lot of great cities in the Old Testament, uh, as, as you're probably aware, and uh, some of them were greater than others in, in different respects. But as far as just commercial money flowing in and out, when you think of commercial cities in our day and age, uh, three that would come to mind, New York City, Hong Kong, London, you know, three cities in the world today uh, that are fixtures on the world stage right now uh, with money that constantly flows in and out. 
then you've got places like the Swiss banks where you know, a lot of money is a lot of money is held, and um, even even a place like I've heard that, that uh, down in the Cayman Islands is the fifth uh, fifth most uh, financial financially um, invested area in the world. So you have places even today where a lot of money concentrates, a lot of uh, a lot of transactions take place, and and Tyre was uh, kind of sitting as an ancient New York City, an ancient Hong Kong, an ancient London, Lloyd's of London. You think of all the, uh, the financial uh, means that are in those cities and all the big business deals and all the huge power brokers that take place in those, uh, in those type of cities. Uh, interesting with, um, with Hong Kong as well as New York City, as you know, Manhattan sits on an island. Hong Kong sits on an island and... Uh, um, so you can kind of even see some modern, uh, New York City has a great harbor, so does Hong Kong. So both of those cities actually uh, bear some similarities in our modern uh, age that similarly, you know, Tyre had the great harbor, the financial, uh, all the financial aspects, but so many other things. Uh, the name Tyre means rock, so it was an island that was, uh, that was elevated uh, about a half mile off the coastline. Uh, the island was... Um, you know, a fortress, and it made a great place to, to make an entire city fortress. Uh, it was the center of the, of the old Mediterranean world. I mean, that would have been uh, the city, the New York City of the Mediterranean world at the time. Tyre was the most prominent city of the Phoenicians. You've probably all heard of the Phoenicians. You know, our alphabet uh, goes back to things uh, that, that they had done. And, and um, uh, the Phoenicians uh, were amazing. You know, you see some of the uh, uh, descriptions in chapter 27, uh, they had really fanned out. They were uh, experts uh, on the sea, shipbuilding, uh, uh, navigation, uh, charting courses, map making. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that the Phoenicians went well outside the Mediterranean, you know, all the way down the coast of Africa, uh, the other side of Africa, up all the way around England. And so there was other areas where uh, the Phoenicians um, had, I mean, there's evidence. We know for certain the vast majority of their trading was in the Mediterranean, but they also had connecting points with all the way over in Spain and others, so they would have trade. They'd go to maybe the end of the uh, uh, Mediterranean, trade there with uh, other traders who would come up from Africa and uh, up up the Nile, uh, the southern end of uh, Israel, the Gulf of Aqaba, all of those areas. Uh, so really, really, uh, the real leaders of really pushing out and having international trade. They were the seat of international trade, international commerce, banking, finance, you name it. They got into anything that they knew how to turn a dollar. And they knew how to rule the seas. They knew how to uh, really work with other nations. And they were really good at negotiating agreements and really not getting embroiled too often. They had a, a, a paid, sophisticated highly skilled army that could be cruel when it needed to be, but for the most part, they were always able to kind of work from a commerce perspective and negotiations and things like that. Um, Kyle Butts, I'm going to read from Apologetics Press. This is what he has to say uh, about the city of Tyre. According to history, the Venetian city of Tyre, located on the eastern shores of the Mediterranean, stood as one of the most ancient and prosperous cities in history. Uh, Herodotus uh, Herodotus, uh, known as the father of modern history, lived and wrote between uh, 490 B.C. and 425 B.C. 
uh, during a visit to the Temple of Hercules, which, by the way, they called that Hercules god Melkart um, entire, uh, Herodotus uh, inquired about the age of the temple, to which his inhabitants replied that the temple was as old as Tyre itself, and that Tyre had already stood for 2,300 years. Now realize this was in, um, this was in uh, between 490 and 425 B.C. So they said then that the city had already stood for 2,300 years. Uh, from Herodotus, then it can be supposed that the city goes back as far as 2,700 B.C. That is way, way back there. 2,700 B.C. So that's 4,700 years ago uh, was the founding of Tyre. Due to its advantageous uh, geographical position, its good ports, Tyre became one of the wealthiest trading cities in history. Fleming noted that it was one of the most important, uh, it was the most important of all Phoenician cities. During the reigns of King David and King Solomon, which was circa 1000 BC, Hiram, king of Tyre, and you might remember if you've read about when David built the temple, and so- I mean, when Solomon built the temple, David built his palace, and Solomon built his palace. Uh, Hiram, king of Tyre, played a major role in the acquisition of building materials for important structures such as Israelite uh, kings' houses and the first temple. In numerous biblical passages, the text states that Hiram sent cedar trees, carpenters, masons, and builders to Israel. See that in 2 Samuel 5.11, because the Tyrians, uh, uh, not Tyrians, Tyrians, uh, renowned skill in timber cutting, 1 Kings 5, 1 through 18. Uh, in addition, uh, Tyrians were equally well known for their remarkable ability to navigate the seas during Solomon's era. Second uh, Chronicles documents that Hiram sent ships and servants who knew the seas to work with Solomon's men in acquiring gold from foreign lands. So quite an impressive uh, city, uh, the Phoenicians themselves, uh, their reputation. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, and he tapped Hiram <laughs> to help him with uh, navigation, how to get to other uh, countries, where to find the gold, all those things. Of course, Solomon uh, and Hiram uh, being peers, uh, what, a, what an interesting time in world history that was. But during all that time of building up uh, wealth, uh, certainly, uh, you know, if you know where Lebanon is on the map, you know that Israel's right beneath it. They were well aware of the gods, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew who David worshipped. I mean, David was building, he wanted to build the temple, and of course Solomon ended up building it. But they knew the God that David worshipped and the God that Solomon worshipped, but notice that they did not worship the true living God. They worshipped Hercules, or as they call it, Melkart. So the Lord says in verse 2 here, if you have your Bibles open, back to chapter 26. Verse 2, son of man, because Tyre has said against Jerusalem, aha, she is broken with the gateway of all the peoples. Now she is turned over to me. I shall be filled and she is laid to waste. Uh, There was times where uh, back in the days of David and Solomon, uh, Tyre and, and Israel, or that's when the kingdom was one kingdom before it later became the divided kingdom, but Tyre and Israel were on good relations, obviously, uh, the kings of David and Solomon had a good relationship with the kings of Tyre from, from a uh, trading perspective and uh, ac- uh, acquiring uh, materials and things like that. Uh, 
But when Israel, when Jerusalem goes and falls and is destroyed by Babylon, Tyre is not going to lose any sleep over it. Matter of fact, God says the response will be, aha, now everything they have, we can grab. You ever seen looting? You know, uh, when a calamity takes place, some will say, oh, I can walk in and uh, I can grab something. Uh, now, Tyre had lots of stuff, so it wasn't like Tyre needed anything new. They already had wealth and riches and all these things, but they still wanted more, and they had no uh, real love and respect uh, for the Jewish state. Let's take a look at the next section here, a little bit about who uh, uh, Tyre is. If you're taking notes, this next section, we'll look at judged and condemned. Uh, the Lord gives the pronouncement of what's going to take place, starting in verse 3. Therefore, thus says the Lord, because, because God knows Tyre's response, what Tyre's response will be, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will cause many nations to come up against you. Many nations. As the sea causes waves, so just like the waves keep lapping up, over the course of history, God says, from this point forward, Tyre, because they mocked, remember the other nations last week, we looked at the four nations that mocked uh, the fall of Jerusalem. Tyre mocked not so much out of hatred. Do you notice the difference? The other, maybe the Philistines, it, said to, it talks about the old hatred. The Philistines hated the Israelites. Whereas Tyre didn't really hate the Israelites. They were just like, but we'll take your stuff. We'll mock you because you're not quite as sophisticated as we are and you, you're, you're not as put together and you're not as, uh, maybe our god Melkart is better than your god. Maybe Hercules is better. But anyway, the Lord speaks directly to them through Ezekiel. And they're not hearing this message. This is uh, Ezekiel receiving this message. Much like people today, even if Ezekiel gave on the message, what do you think they would do with it? We've been around for 2,300 years. You don't know what you're talking about. America's been around for over 200 years. How could anything possibly go wrong? We're on the top of the heap. That's the way they felt. Behold, I am against you, O Tyre. I will cause many nations to come up as the sea causes its waves to come up. They'll destroy the walls of Tyre. Break down her towers. Verse 4, I will scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. Psalm 19 says, Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Every nation will be judged. This just happens to be in these chapters, God is pointing out specific nations, seven in these intermediate chapters between the siege of Israel and the fall of the siege of Jerusalem and the fall of Jerusalem. But Tyre, like all nations, won't prevail. They'll be judged. Many nations have their height. Tyre's height was actually, this was past their, even though Tyre was still incredibly wealthy. Now think about this. Think about our own country. Tyre was still incredibly wealthy, had a lot of power, had a great army, but they were already past their prime at this point. The height of Tyre was between the 8th and 10th centuries. Really the same time that David and Solomon, uh, well, 
a little bit before David and Solomon came into power and through the time of period where David and Solomon, that was the height of Tyre. And, and for whatever reason, you know, uh, you know, neither David or Solomon ever felt the need to go after, but basically just kind of had cooperation with one another. But the height of their empire or the height of their, um, their glory uh, was between the 8th and 10th centuries. But what would be coming now would be the judgment coming wave after wave. And it would all not be in one wave. It would be a succession, and over time, the full prophecy would come to fruition. Now, some, uh, some critics of the Bible will actually cite this as uh, where it talks about in verse 7. Look where it says, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring, uh, bring against Tyre uh, from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, king of kings. And it talks about that Nebuchadnezzar will destroy Tyre. But, uh, so people will say, but Nebuchadnezzar didn't ever destroy all of Tyre, uh, specifically the island fortress of Tyre, uh, and we'll take a look at uh, what that means. Uh, the prophecy here doesn't say, go back to verse 4, it does not say that Nebuchadnezzar would be responsible for the complete destruction it says in verse 4, and they, plural, after it says, behold, in verse 3, I will bring many nations upon you, God starts first with the kind of overall history. He goes, this is how God talks sometimes, he goes way future to the end of Tyre and says, in that time period, I'll bring many nations against you. And they, who's they? Babylon? No. It's all the different nations that will come against Tyre over the succession of waves of judgment, they collectively, they will destroy the walls of Tyre. So the Lord doesn't identify which kingdom will do it. It'll end up being Alexander the Great. And Greece will actually uh, you know, really kind of take Tyre down and level it and raise it to the ground. But Nebuchadnezzar will inflict a major judgment himself, and we'll kind of take a look at these things. So let me give you a little bit of background more of what takes place here. Uh, that's a little bit of some of the common trade routes around the Mediterranean. So they would kind of come here out into the Atlantic, down the coast of Africa. They'd trade at these points. As I mentioned, all these were heavy trade points. And this is what the ancient city of Tyre, this is just a rendering of what the ancient city of Tyre looked like. This is, if you're visual, hopefully these things help you. Uh, this, is, this was the island fortress, and then about a half mile to the mainland, this would be modern-day Lebanon right there. Okay? so that And then on this, although this rendering doesn't show it, this would have looked just like this. The mainland was full of a, a big city. It's kind of like looking, if you're in Manhattan, and you look across to Brooklyn, it's a whole other city over there, right? You've got all the, you've got all the buildings and everything over there. So uh, this was um, a, the original city that was built 2,700 years ago. And then it expanded, and then Hiram and, and the other kings, all this became of the Phoenician territory, a kind of metropolis, if you will. So the, uh, they'd ferry back and forth. Uh, some believe that a causeway under King Hiram was actually there. We don't know that for certain. Uh, but if it was there, it was removed by the time Nebuchadnezzar came because there was no causeway, uh, which actually was why he couldn't get to the island. But we'll take a look at a couple things here. So then uh, Alexander the Great will later build, we'll get to that in a few minutes, he'll later build 
uh, a causeway there. What Nebuchadnezzar, this is a picture of Nebuchadnezzar leaving. Nebuchadnezzar laid, laid siege against the city or the entire region of Tyre there for 13 years. He subjugated all the, let me go back, he subjugated all of this right here, but he could never get, uh, Nebuchadnezzar didn't have a navy, and he, so he could never get the half mile, what, uh, the way that the land was, there were some uh, currents that would run through here, and he, it would produce heavy waves here, which made it really hard to build a causeway. Then the water right here, up against the wall, drops off and it's incredibly deep. So even if you could get out there, you couldn't post ladders or anything because it was so deep. So it had this, it was considered impregnable. And that's why for many, many years, uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't attack the city. And if you were coming at it from ships, they would rain, their archers and their, uh, all their military that were on the walls would rain down on ships, fire, you know, uh, shooting arrows with fire and all kinds of... So it was really a, quite an amazing city from, from a fortress perspective. And God kind of obviously created the seafloor and everything that... Uh, the very things that nations enjoy, God created, you know? It's been said of America that, that the Atlantic Ocean on one side and the Pacific Ocean on the other side makes us somewhat impregnable from certain attacks from other nations. Don't believe it. Because God can raise up an Alexander the Great in a New York minute, can't he? But anyway, that's, that's what's said about our own nation. But Nebuchadnezzar, he, he ended up... Uh, so all these ships that were actually um, Phoenician ships, they would actually rain down and fight Nebuchadnezzar from sea to land... And even though Nebuchadnezzar uh, would destroy most of the land side of Tyre and subjugate it, eventually it's believed, we don't know this for a fact, but eventually it's believed that Tyre did kind of make an agreement with Nebuchadnezzar that he would stop pursuing the island fortress and that they would pay tribute, you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. But the rest of the landmass he had conquered, so... Uh, many people died. Uh, so again, if you were, if, if you kind of look at a landmass, like if Manhattan was spared, but everybody on the Jersey side was captured, killed, and then made part of another empire, in this case Babylon, uh, Bab- uh, Nebuchadnezzar did a tremendous amount of damage, but the island fortress still stood. Similarly, if you've been with our study in Ezekiel, what city was still standing even though most of Judah had fallen. Jerusalem. It was up on a high hill. The, the people of Jerusalem also thought they couldn't be taken down. Very some similar things here. Then the Lord uh, calls out some of the sins of, um, of Tyre. Now we see that uh, they were very callous in, 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 in verse 2. Uh, no regard for Israel if, if Jerusalem were to fall, as far as they were concerned. Now we'll, what they were really excited about Jerusalem going down, uh, as you know, Jerusalem sits as that bridge between Africa to the south, the Middle East to the, um, to the east, and then Europe to the north. And so when merchants would travel through that land bridge, Judah got to charge a tax on 
the pass-through. And if Judah's taken out of the way, then there's no extra tax added for Tyre to absorb. And so that means more profit uh, for Tyre. Uh, they also, when Judah was, uh, was defeated by Babylon, uh, Tyre was there to sell a bunch of Jewish people as slaves to the Greeks to get them out of the land altogether. So all that time that Jewish people might have thought, well, at least the inhabitants of Tyre don't hate us. As soon as the opportunity was there to sell them, they did. Because they marketed in human beings just like they did ivory, just like they did gold, just like they did embroidery. Uh, anything, was a, anything was an opportunity to sell and trade, and humans were no different. So they actually would capitalize on that. But uh, the main sins of Tyre, greed, they had an insatiable materialism. Does that sound familiar? They were in love with stuff. They would love Costco. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, or Sam's Club, or one of the, you know, the, you know, when you ride around there, you, you, you find out you have an insatiable appetite, right? You know, you go through that thing and you're like, wow, did I, why did I not know I needed these things? You know, there's so many good things here. And, uh, and this is so much nicer than our blender. And this, you know, every time, and that TV, when did they get that then? Mine's this then, you know, whatever. But they were, they were in love with stuff. They had an insatiable appetite for, for money, for collect, just, just as much as they could possibly get. They were very proud. They were idolatrous. Uh, chapter 28 says they also had violence in their cities. Uh, so they, and again, whenever people, uh, I was sharing this with the folks down in Williamsburg uh, on Sunday, when Americans get every single thing they could possibly want, every right they think they deserve, every way they think is their way, everything they could ever own, they still won't be happy. And that's why even when a place is prosperous, there's still violence and people killing each other. Why? Because nothing satisfies the human heart. And Tyre was no different than we see in our own nation today. Isaiah chapter 23, verse 16 says this about the, adult, the idolatrous nature of Tyre. You know, God doesn't like nations worshiping other gods. He wants all the nations to worship him. Uh, but Isaiah says, take a harp and go about the city, you forgotten harlot. This is uh, Isaiah's way of describing. Uh, Make sweet melodies, sing many songs that you may be remembered. Uh, you know, basically, he's saying, you can have a song about your remembrance and all of your harlotry. But that's the way the world will remember you, according to Isaiah. That you were a harlot city that actually forsook the creator God, Romans chapter 1 all his invisible attributes, but more than just his invisible attributes, they had Israel sitting right next to them. They knew who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were, but they chose idolatry. They chose the gods of the Greeks and the Romans in the same, in the same uh, pantheon of gods. They ended up, uh, Hiram ended up uh, consolidating, and really the, the chief deity ended up being uh, this god Melkart or Hercules, uh, they had other sins as well, but these were the primary ones uh, that are listed here and, and in other passages uh, in the scriptures. Then we get a detailed uh, we get a detailed description of some of the destruction. Um, this when the when the 
It says in verse 4, I'll scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of the rock. This, uh, we believe, is at the end of Alexander the Great's attack, and we'll take a look at that in just a minute, because God's kind of condensing all the, kind of like a, a prologue here, condensing it all into a short, and then goes back, and you see some of the detail about Nebuchadnezzar's attack, and then some of the detail about the, country, uh, about the city itself. Uh, Behold, I'll bring against you Nebuchadnezzar, and you have all the different um, descriptions here of destruction that takes place. They'll plunder your riches, verse 12. They'll break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. You know, they, 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 uh, they loved their homes. They loved their stuff. But they never found a place for God. Israel was guilty of the same thing. Jerusalem was guilty of the same thing. They loved music. Look at verse 13. I'll put an end to the sound of your songs. You think about our country. We've given the world rock music, Elvis, jazz, iTunes, MTV. If anyone doesn't love music in the annals of world history more than America, it's hard to find a nation that loves music more than this nation. I mean, so much so that we've given the whole world live your life with earbuds now. That all, that all came right from here. And really kind of pushing that on the whole world. Well, uh, Tyre was known as a place full of music, full of the world's music, full of musicians. But God said, I'm going to stop your songs. I'm going to put an end to all your music. Isn't that amazing that God writes that? That God made sure that he said, of all the things you write down, make sure I'm going to put an end to all their music. I mean, it doesn't say those words. It says songs or sounds, but I will put an end to the sound of your songs and the sound of your hearts will be heard no more. Your impact on the world cultural music days is over, Tyre. Verse 14 is when I believe it switches to Greece. Look at verse 14. When the prophecy switches, all this is, Nebuchadnezzar was doing all of that. Now, there wouldn't be a whole lot of music going on when the island fortress had to fight against Nebuchadnezzar all that time, too. That 13-year siege, even though he took most of the, the suburbs, if you will, the inner city part was not captured. But all during that time, they were in battle. Uh, and then they went into a depression, a monetary recession, depression took place after the siege, and then they eventually lifted up out of it and came back to being quite wealthy and rich by the time Alexander the Great comes along. In verse 14, I'll make you like the top of a rock, where he scrapes everything off. And what what we believe this is, is the seven-month siege that Alexander the Great will launch on the actual uh, fortress city. I'm reading from um, Dr. Richard Miles. He's the author, and uh, he's an author, a history author, and also he's one of the history producers for the British Broadcasting Company. He, he says this, The king even introduced an elaborate new ceremonial uh, to celebrate the annual festival of Melkart. Each spring, in a carefully chore- choreographed festival called Egerus, uh, an effigy of the god was placed on a giant raft, uh, being burnt as it drifted out to sea, while hymns were sung by the assembled crowds. For the, uh, but the Tyrians... As for many other ancient Near Eastern peoples, the emphasis fell upon the restorative properties of fire. Uh, you know how in India where they burn the bodies, you know, they don't believe that the people cease to exist. They're going to come back in some other form. So they believe that uh, this was renewal. Uh, the God himself was not destroyed, but a revival by the smoke and the burning of the effigy thus repeated rebirth to emphasize the importance of this Egeris and maintaining the internal cohesion of the Tyrian people, all foreigners had to leave the city during 
the duration of the ceremony. So to really be part of this special, special, special idolatrous ceremony, you had to be a Tyrian. You could not be, you had to be a true New Yorker or whatever. You had to be anyone else gone for a while. You could come back when the festival was over, but during this time, the same way that Jewish people would have thought during Passover, it was for who? Jews only. Non-Jews, this is not for you. So along comes Alexander the Great, and Alexander the Great, he was into worshiping false gods, so he wanted to participate. I'll read on a little bit here. This is from Joshua J. Mark, uh, Ancient History Encyclopedia, actually in the same article that um, the other gentleman I just read from. But uh, he said, it was this ceremony... This is an interesting thing. It was this very ceremony and the importance held for the people which would bring about Tyre's destruction and the slaughter or enslavement of the populace. In 332 B.C., Alexander the Great arrived at the city, fresh from the subjugation of Sidon, which we'll see uh, later in chapter 28, uh, fresh from the subjugation of Sidon and demanded Tyre's surrender. Following Sidon's lead, the Tyrians acknowledged Alexander's greatness and presented him with gifts. So they realized, hey, Alexander the Great is on a roll. Let's give him a bunch of gifts. So they did. They gave him gifts. All seemed to be going well, and, and he was pleased with their submission. Alexander said he would present a sacrifice in honor of their god in the temple of Melkart. The Tyrians could not allow this as this would be sacrilegious for a foreigner to present a sacrifice in the holy name of their God, and even more so as the ceremony of Ajiris was at close hand. The historian Worthington presents what followed. Osmilk, king of Tyre, proposed a compromise. Tyre would become Alexander's ally, but he should sacrifice his sacrifice on the mainland, not in the fortress city where the ancient temple was because he wasn't a Tyrian. How do you think this is going to sit with uh, Alexander the Great? Well, you can guess how this went. Alexander, angry, sent envoys to say this was unacceptable. The Tyrians should ha- had to surrender. They murdered his envoys and threw them over the wall. He then ordered the siege of Tyre. And he did something that no one had ever thought of in all of ancient history. Remember, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was here and he fought you know, did everything he could. He couldn't figure out a way to get to the, he could never, he didn't have a navy. There was no causeway. Couldn't figure out how you get over there. 13 years, he could never figure it out, even though he conquered everywhere he went. Home comes Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, he was brilliant. He had his mind for evil, but he was brilliant. He said, let's destroy, remember the city, the old city had been rebuilt. It had now had been prospering for like 200 years. He destroyed the city and took all the materials and started dropping it into the sea till he could make a causeway. No one had ever thought of this before. Uh, and it wasn't easy because the entire time he had to battle the ships from both sides of Tyre. It was a not, he lost thousands of men, which didn't mean much to him because he would press until he won. He lost thousands of men, but he also used thousands of their people to die because he would have them toss the buildings into the sea until it raised up. And then the, what would happen is the currents would bring the sediments and fill in between, and it would add up. And even though he was 
bent on evil, God used him. He literally scraped the rocks of all the dust until there was nothing left but a hard sheet. All the suburbs became nothing but a sheet of stone because he took every single thing enslaved all the people, all because they would not let him offer the sacrifice to their false god in their temple. Here's what's fascinating. There, they ended up, he ended up getting all the way in, in the battering rams. They, they would end up taking the city. His approach was unprecedented. But he would fulfill Ezekiel's prophecy before, before this happened, no one would have met with any of this mint. What, what do you mean, scrape the rock? Ba- Nebuchadnezzar didn't scrape the rock, but Alexander the Great did. Because the waves, remember the waves? This was another wave of the same judgment, but it was spaced out. You've got to understand, when you watch prophecy, don't think that all of it comes in one wave. It takes some time. And so, the other thing that um, is really interesting about what took place there is the Tyrians refused to budge on their idols, and it cost them everything. Do you realize that, you know, we have, we have a nation today that is so in love with their idols, so in love with their idols, they have no clue that the love we have for our idols is making us softer and softer and softer and an easier target for all of our enemies. And... The, you, know, you realize that you know, Vladimir Putin, who is laughing about this recent deal, if you want to call it a deal, do you realize that he has, an, on a, a couple of times I've seen him quoted, talking about, he has specifically pinpointed Americans' love for their things and their stuff and their leisure. He knows the sweet, soft belly spot. And Alexander the Great's like, your love for your gods will be your downfall because that's all the enragement I needed to get the job done. I was ready to deal with you, but you didn't want to deal. And so he comes up with, it really was genius, even though he wasn't a good guy either. Uh, He took the mainland city apart, employed thousands to help him do it, builds the causeway, takes some losses along the way, but he does it in seven months. Nebuchadnezzar spent 13 years trying to do it. Alexander the Great, seven months, penetrated the city. And God even used some storms and uh, the ocean raged at times and actually knocked, you know, uh, hit some of their navy. I mean, a lot of things took place during this time. Most of the men of Tyre were killed in the continued fighting. Uh, uh, Siculus recorded that approximately 2,000 of the men of Tyre, Alexander the Great, had them crucified. And then about 30,000 were put into slavery and sent all over as slaves under Greece. And the rest of, uh, we don't have time to go through it, we've got to come to a close, but the rest of chapter 27, um, I think I'll just hold off and, and we'll pick up, I don't want to short sell that, there's a lot there, so when we get back together at the end of the summer, <laughs> I'll do a little review. We'll come back to it because there's a lot of shock and sadness here and then it moves into uh, the Prince of Tyre and how the Prince of Tyre seems to be inhabited perhaps by Satan himself and it's a precursor to what? The Antichrist. And the way they weep and mourn, I'm, gonna give, I'm giving you a, four, uh, a foretaste of what we'll look at. The way they weep, the way the world weeps and mourns over Tyre is the same way in Revelation 18 the world weeps and mourns over Mystery Babylon 
when that city is destroyed. And so we'll kind of look at some of those things. We've got to come to a stop there. But uh, I told you uh, last week that these chapters will be somewhat like a college history lesson. Uh, but hopefully at the same time, uh, you see that God is teaching some real spiritual truth here. The main one is this. We serve an awesome, mighty God that controls the future, the present, and the past. The best thing we could possibly do is respond to his goodness and his grace right now while we can. Amen? And the best thing our country can do, and the best thing our relatives and friends and neighbors that don't know the Lord, the best thing they can do is surrender while they can, because uh, God's not willing that any should perish. He would have saved the Tyrians. He would have saved Alexander the Great. Uh, It would have saved Nebuchadnezzar if any of them were willing to come. And actually, it does look like Nebuchadnezzar actually did later come to his senses, uh, amazingly enough. But uh, we'll we'll come to a close there. Uh, Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, even uh, looking back at history, we're reminded that you're the only one that knows the future. And Lord, you're the only one that holds the scales of judgment. You're the only one that weighs the hearts of every nation. You're the only one that weighs the hearts of each individual man and woman, Lord. And we know that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. It's appointed to nations for a time to have their day in the sun, but also, Lord, have a day of reckoning. And we pray, Lord, for our own country tonight. We pray, Lord, that our leaders would not be like the king of Tyre, not so in love with their idols that they refuse to listen, that uh, like the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah and the kings of the northern kingdom that were so hard-hearted and so idolatrous and so in love with pleasure, Lord, they rejected the God of their fathers. And Lord, we pray that you would open the eyes of our leaders, our leaders in government, our leaders in business, our leaders in medicine, our leaders in education. We pray that you would turn our country back to you. And Lord, you'd use us, even though we're few in number, Uh, you'd use us as bright lights in a dark place. We pray your grace upon us. It's been there for so long. We pray you continue to have mercy and we'd see a great awakening. And Lord, we pray tonight also for our, uh, our brothers and sisters around the world that are already under oppression. Lord, we pray that you would just give them relief and escape from the cruel hands that are applying so much pressure against them. And we just ask, Lord, that, uh, in these days in which we live, you give us wisdom, you fill us with your love and your power, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thanks for hanging in there.